0: Um, Communion is one of those special times where I, I wish we could do communion every Sabbath. The reason for that is because the symbol is so powerful and it's so strong and it's a reminder that you have forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And that's powerful because that simple truth can change and shape every relationship that you have. If we truly understood and if we truly believed and if we truly allowed the death of Christ to kind of live in us, then the resurrection of life could also be a part of your life. And what that means is that as Jesus is resurrected, he gives us the power to live a resurrected life. So as we have that thought in mind, I want to ask us to pray before we jump into just a few thoughts that I have this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of communion and the bread and the juice and what that represents to us. And so we pray that as we think about this, as we explore this a little more, that even though we've heard this hundreds of times, Father, we pray that you would give us new eyes to see. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to open the Red Bible in front of you, if you have one, to John chapter 12. It won't be on the screen this morning, so let's look at John chapter 12. John 12, 24. That's page 762. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. This is symbolic language. Jesus is trying to paint a picture of what the Christian's life must look like. So as we read this today, not many of us have gardens in our backyards. Right? Some of us don't even have enough space for a garden in our backyards. But in the first century, the people that Jesus was speaking to, they lived in an agrarian society where everybody knew a farmer or was a farmer or at least tried to live off of their own little parcels of land. So when Jesus says that unless a seed fall into the earth and die, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's the first lesson from this passage. As Christians, there are times in our lives where there are things that have to die. There are things in your life that you keep holding on to that really are getting in the way of living the life that God has in store for you. There are things in your life, and you know what those are right now. I know what they are in my life. But there are things in your life that are getting in between you and a deeper relationship with God. As we begin a new year, and I understand we know it's an arbitrary time to have new goals in our lives. As human beings, we like definite endings and definite beginnings, and, and as you have all seen on Facebook or on social media, you've seen that everyone is wishing everyone a happy new Year's. and this is the perfect time in the year for people to sell their products about how to make goals and stick to your goals. As a Christian, though, every single day is a new beginning, the Bible tells us that the, the God's blessings and mercies are new every single day. Every single day is an opportunity for you to allow things in your life or to put things in your life to death that are getting in between you and a deeper relationship with God. But this isn't just something personal. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard the name before, he, he was alive during the Second World War, he was a German um, theologian, a pastor. And during the, 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 the beginning stages of World War II, all of his friends were like, Diedrich, you have to get out of Germany because that's where he was from, Germany. You have to get out of Germany. There was, positions, there was positions offered to him in universities all around the country here in the United States. He could have gone anywhere. He could have waited out the war. And then he could have gone back. But he believed so intently that for him to be a pastor and a theologian and for him to have any kind of influence or say in how the country would be rebuilt when Hitler's regime was overthrown, he had to go through what the people were going through. So this man following what we call, what he had this little book called the Moravian Daily Texts, and there's Bible verses that he read every single day. Every single morning, he would finally be arrested and put into a concentration camp and even during that time he did not lose hope he kept reading his moravian daily texts it was about a week or so before the war ended that he was ultimately killed because he was a part of the resistance he was a part of the or of trying to overthrow hitler so this man says these words when god calls a man or a woman he bids him he bids him come and die. When God calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. It's not telling you to physically die, but what Bonhoeffer understood is that the life that he was given was not about what Diedrich Bonhoeffer could get out of life that the life that he was created to live wasn't about whether he was going to marry this person or that person or if he was going to have a hundred kids or one kid, whether he was going to work here or there. What he understood is that his life was supposed to be lived in such a way that he poured himself out on behalf of others. He was there to serve others and not to be served. John 12, 25 says this. Jesus says this, Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, we can't read it as too literally. Because he's not saying if you love your life, you're going to lose it. Because, you know, honestly, as as difficult as life is sometimes, I think most of us will agree that we actually kind of love our life. We love our wife. We love our husband. We love our kids. Some of us love our job. Some of us love our car. Some of us love our friends. There's things that we love. But what Jesus is saying is if you try to hold on to your life too tightly, you are not truly going to live the life that God has in store for you. You're going to hear me preach this message from the day I come here to the day that I leave here is that God has a life planned for you. God wants you to live the most abundant life. And and that doesn't mean that you get to live a wealthy life or an extravagant and a lavish life. That was never the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that God has called you into relationship with him. And the closer you walk with God, the more fulfilling life will be. That doesn't mean that the closer you are to God, that the less trials you're going to have. It doesn't mean that the closer you are to God, that the less trouble that you're going to face. The truth is you'll probably face more. But we know that the closer relationship you have to God, the more able you will be able to be to get through the difficult parts of life. So when Jesus says those who hate their lives in this world will keep it for eternal life, what he is saying is die to all of the sin, die to all of the destructive habits in your life, die to your pride, die to your need to gossip about other people, die for your need to always be right. Die to even having an opinion sometimes. See, what we find and what happens so often is that we always are trying to be heard that we don't take time to listen to the other person that is trying to talk. I can't tell you how many times I have been in arguments with people or disagreements Because I am not trying to listen to what they're trying to say, but I am just trying to make my point. That's never happened to any of you, I know. You are much better people than I am. And, And, like, you know it's happening when you're doing it, but, like, that thing within you doesn't let you just pull back. But, see, sometimes that desire, even to be heard, needs to be put to death. Because to be a part of this community of Christ, to be a part of followers of Jesus who are trying to live the way of Jesus, if you read the Gospels, but to be a part of a community of people, of a church like this one that is trying to follow the teachings of Jesus. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus often asks more questions than he spends time teaching. Jesus always is asking questions Now, of course, he was trying to get a point across. He was trying to get people to think more deeply about their faith. But what if when you encounter someone or when you are in a, even just with your husband and wife, what if you spent more time asking them questions than trying to tell them the way things should be? Because honestly, if you've been married, you know that most of the arguments you have aren't even really that important, right? That's an amen right there. It really doesn't (laughs) matter. That's why you should just always do what I say, no. (laughs) Most of the arguments we have aren't even really that important. See, if we learn to put the other people in our lives ahead of us, and this is biblical. The Bible actually uses these words. If you treat others as better than yourselves, you might find that your relationships are actually better than they were before. Now, some of you are saying, but what if the other person isn't putting me above them? well, you're not responsible for anybody else. You can't control anybody else. You can't make decisions for anyone else. But you are called to lift others up above you, and the rest is up to God. As we begin this new year, and as, as, even as a church, have you ever been to a church that functions smoothly, perfectly, and without conflict? Anybody can raise your hand. Have you ever been to a church where there's no gossip? Have you ever been to a church where no one has hurt another person? Yeah. That's the reason people don't come to church because they're like, ah, oh, it's full of hypocrites. I've heard that. And I always say, like, I know. I go there. <laughs> Everywhere you go is full of hypocrites because we're human. And even though we want to do the very best and even though we try to do the very best, there's that part of us, that, that sinful, original sinfulness, where we can't always do the very best. But we believe and we preach this from the book of Romans and throughout other books of the New Testament, that even though we aren't the best that we could be, the Spirit of God is filling you and trying to get rid of all of that sinfulness and that dirtiness. That, that theological word that doesn't make sense to many people is sanctification. It's that process of God in his own right and in his own way cleansing you and making you more a better person. You see, you can try to be a better person, but how long does that really last? Because all it takes is for your husband or wife to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and World War III starts, right? Right? Because we don't always have the power to do the right things, but the Spirit of God, if, you, I mean, if you're open to that, if you're praying, God, just show me what you need me to see, that can change lives. I have a story really quickly. Um, this past week, I met with someone not from this church, okay? Not Seventh-day Adventist. We'll just start. We'll put it that way. Struggling with addiction. He's struggling with dependency issues. He, he was in a facility, and so we're talking And he was like, I know that, I know God is using this as an opportunity, and and I know that even if I don't go to church every single week, I know I don't have to go back to this church or that church, but even if I just find one church, even if I don't go back every single week, I know that that'll be more than what I'm doing now, and and I know that God's going to use that. Now, this is a guy who was a pastor's kid, who knows the stories in scripture, and so I had to challenge him, and of course, this is like, you know when they talk about hitting rock bottom, this guy had hit rock bottom. So I said, well, let me try to tell him what he should do. <laughs> I said, I, I came back to the story of the Israelites in the desert where God gives manna from the sky every single day. And I asked him on the sixth day, what was different? And he says, well, God gave him twice as much because on the Sabbath they weren't supposed to take manna. And I was like, yeah. I said, now, what, is the, what does Jesus call himself? That he is the what? He goes, and so after a couple of guesses, I said, the bread of life. So Jesus is saying he is the one who is going to sustain you. Just as God sustained the Israelites in the desert by giving them bread every single day, Jesus is now going to sustain you. And I said, if you open your heart and your mind and your soul, and if you just try to get into the scriptures, but mostly just open your heart in prayer and say, God, show me what you need me to see. Teach me what you need me to know. I said, I believe that God is going to do miraculous things in your life. Because it's not just about coming to church once a week. It's about what you're doing the six days in between. Because let's just be honest. How many hours do we spend at church a week on a normal week? Let's say you're a good Christian and you get here at like 9.15. And let's just say you stay for potluck. Let's say you stay till two. How many hours is that? Like five? Most of you just come for like church. So it's like an hour. See, church, if your only relationship to God, if it's only being fueled by the time you spend here one day a week, let me just tell you, that's not a relationship. It's a really bad relationship. You're missing out on the fruits and on the benefits and on the the abundance of what happens when you have this truly, deeply relationship with God. For those people who are here who have been a part of the faith longer can tell you, that the more time you spend in the scriptures and in reading during the week the better church life is. I believe that the reason churches struggle so much is because we're not spending enough time in the word. I believe that the reason struggle so much is because we worry more about the things that we have to get done the six other days of the week that when we come here we let out our frustrations with people. Some of you may be saying well no that's not true but I'm I've been a pastor for 10 years. 12 years if you or 11 years if you include my internship. People lay into each other in churches. And that's sad and that's painful. Oftentimes the people that have come after me the hardest are the people who haven't really had a relationship with Christ. I know this to be true. You see the more time you spend reading the scriptures, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. Now, the Holy Spirit works in all kinds of ways, and and it can work in you even if you're not reading the Bible every day. But think about the Bible as as kind of that that spiritual food. The more you have, the more you develop a palate for how God works in the world. And the more Bible you're reading, and this is not superstitious, okay? This is not, if you read the Bible, your day's going to be great. There's going to be plenty of horrible days even when you read the Bible because that's the life we live in. We're not in heaven yet, okay? So caveat, if you're our guest, just know. But the more you read the Bible, the more that the Spirit of God has to work and shape you and it gives you a new set of language and words and it gives you a new story by which you can see the world. And the more you read the scriptures, the more hope and the deeper the reservoir of your hope is because you know that the God who worked miraculous things in the Bible will also continue to work miraculous things in your life today. That's why we read the scriptures, because it teaches us about the God who goes to great lengths to find his lost sheep. Every, I guess since last year, one of our elders, Ron, and I guess I'm going to make your announcement, Ron. You can come up after if you'd like. He brought to the elders an idea, and he said, what if we, what if we get a bunch of Bibles, and, and they're marked, you know, one-year Bibles, and we give them to people, and we ask them to pay for it if they can, right, because, you know, we're a nonprofit. And we just read the Bible through in a year. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands how many of you actually got through it. <laughs> I didn't, so I'll just be vulnerable and say I did it. I, I did it most of it. I've read most of it. <laughs> but, but the idea behind that is it's not just the reading of it, but it's, it's engaging. It's interacting. It's allowing the Spirit of God. It's giving the Spirit of God fuel and food to shape you and to change you. And so this year we're doing that again. And so Ron, I think if we need Bibles, you can contact Ron and let him know and we'll figure out a way to order more Bibles. But we also have um, sheets of paper that have Bible reading plans for 52 weeks. And, and it's okay if, if you don't start until tomorrow. You can just make it up at the end of the year, the first two days that you didn't get through. Because we believe it's important and it changes things when a church reads the Bible together. Not only that, um, last year, one of the things that we did is there was an email list. And if your name was on there, you know that sometimes if you came across something that was meaningful in the Bible, you would write a couple of sentences or a couple of paragraphs in it, and then you could share it with the group, and then people could respond. This year, we're doing that a little bit different. We've started a Facebook page. And um, if you don't have a Facebook account, it's really simple. I'd love to sit with you and teach you how to do it. But the reason we're going to to that is we're experimenting with it and we want to see um, if we can get more interaction with it. Sometimes people will write something and you'll want to share what they write. And so this will give us an opportunity to do that. And um, we'll probably send this out in the group email. So if you want to get on that, let us know. But basically it's Orange SDA, read the Bible in a year. We'll, we'll paste it on our church website. We'll do it on all that because we want you to be a part of what it means to be immersed in the word of God and how God can change our life through that. So we have that going on. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where I went with all of this. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so we come back to communion. And in just a few moments, we're going to break for the foot washing. And foot washing is a reminder that church and why we gather, and what God has done, it's not about you, but it's about what God is asking you to do to be his messengers in the world. So when we come to communion, it is a reminder that the heavy lifting of salvation has been done for us. It was done by Christ at the cross when he lays his life down, and he forgives you of your sins, past, present, and future. Okay, that's the heavy lifting of our faith. And we do this a couple of times a year because we are reminded that because the heavy lifting of our sins are forgiven, that God is now asking us to be a part of what God is doing in the world, which is to be a blessing to others, which is to bring grace to others, which is to love other people, especially those that are not so easy to love. And so we come together as this church reminded of what Jesus did on the night that he was arrested. It says, Jesus got up from the table, he tied a towel around himself, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He says, so if I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. It's not just the washing of the feet, but it's what it symbolizes. It's that you must always serve. Jesus would, all, would also say this, just as the Son of Man, so just as I came not to be served, but to serve, then you too must also do the same. The Christian life isn't about extending your hand out and always asking for something more. The Bible describes a truly Christian person as someone whose cup is already full and they pour it out on behalf of others, which means that out of your generosity, out of your abundance, out of everything that you have, God is asking you to pour that out into the lives of other people. It may not be money. You may not have any money, but maybe you have time. Maybe you have love or grace or blessing, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, he says, shh. All of this other stuff that's going on in the church and in your families and outside, it's not about you. It's about what I've already done for you and what about what I'm, about and about what I'm asking you to do for others. Silence all of that pettiness and all of that other stuff. But just learn to no longer stretch your hand out for, for something that you can receive, but rather to be giving whatever it is that you have to other people. Especially as a church, the way that a church will function the very best is if we understand that it's not about us, but it's actually about the work of what God is trying to do. Because the church is not a building. Yes, we're going through the process of remodeling it because we have to have a place to worship in. We're not doing anything fancy. We're just doing what has to be done. But a church isn't the building we gather in. The church is the people who fill the building you are the church, and God is calling you to be his hands and his feet. We gather here once a week. God doesn't want all of our attention to go and just, to, just into what happens here, but he wants that what happens here to be the fuel that motivates us as we leave this place and live six days of the week outside of this place so that we can be the blessing that God is asking us to be. And so in a moment, as we break for foot washing, is that what comes right next, Suzanne? As we break for foot washing, as you go and wash someone's feet, remember that it's more than just that. Because most of you washed your feet this morning when you took showers or last night. Most of your feet are clean and nice. The symbol isn't just about washing someone's feet here, but it's about what it means out there. It's about being Jesus to the world that doesn't know him.